after the time it took to drink two cups of tea, Bayou came back again. During his absence, Dayu's sobs seemed to have redoubled in intensity. Seeing the state she was in, he realised the situation would need careful handling, and began turning over in his mind all kinds of soft and soothing things to coax her with. But before he could open his mouth, she spoke. So she's actually his mother, but she's referred to as his aunt because she is a concubine. Exactly, yeah. Um, and he looks to her for sympathy, but she has none. She tells him he's been kind of almost getting ideas above his station, playing with, mm. playing with the older children. And she uses the this phrase, who's been making a doormat of you this time? Um, and mm. I think that's a pretty... Direct translation from the Chinese. Dian le chui wo lai la. So, yeah, um, mm. Dian in this case being like a, a mat, a kind of doormat, exactly. And chui wo is almost like being, I think in this case, kind of kicked or trampled on. Mm. Right. Um, and so she's kind of, yeah, she's very status aware herself. And she seems to be, uh, she wants him to sort of, to know his plays effectively, right? And and the fact that um, it's kind of, you know, who who's been making a doormat of you this time suggests that he, you know, this is consistent for him. This is, uh, you know, he he's always he's often allowing others to kind of um, upset or or in some way, you know, put him in in, in ill humor. And then here at this moment, there's also we get a sense for um, for Aunt Zhao's status herself because at this moment uh Feng happens to happens to be passing by outside and she sort of upbraids uh aunt Zhao for the language she's using which again if i mean that shows you her status if if you know if Feng can Feng who's relatively young can uh speak to you in that way um I guess you. I mean, you must be pretty low on the totem pole. Yeah, I guess. I guess you know, Sifeng is herself. Uh, she's a full wife of a uh, of one of the men of the family, right? Um, mm -hmm. Which is a which is above uh, concubine. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, um, even though, even though Jia Zheng is higher status than uh, Shifeng's husband, yeah, uh, right? So Jia it's Jia kind Jia. of this. It's 
it's interesting to see how these gradations play out. But I, I thought this was a very um, demonstrative moment. Uh, Jia Huan is kind of scared of Xifeng, right? I mean, um, yeah. Uh, he's always been afraid of her. Jia Rei should have been more afraid, right? Yeah. <laughs> she, she, she has a, a very sharp tongue herself, right? Um, but it actually looks initially, it looks like she's actually going to offer him some words of comfort. Um, but it, you know, actually, no. She, she kind of gives him a taking off of of her own, right? I mean, she offers him money though, so she gets him back in the game. She gets him financially back on his feet. Uh, so she offers uh, Jia Huan, you know, it's only a hundred or two hundred cash, and so she turns to Felicity, her maid, and um, she says, "Go get, go get him a, a string of cash." Which I, I think would be about so my idea the string is for um, connecting so the the, the cash uh, in question are coins right and they have a hole in the middle we talked about this a little bit I think but it's good to yeah. review they have a hole in the middle and then you can kind of string them together and so one string I think would be around a hundred uh, cash a hundred coins yeah exactly exactly we we don't really have this anymore right I mean if you have piles of coin they're sometimes kept in kind of like tightly packed paper twists yes um uh, so i mean if rolls, you've been in a store and yeah rolls exactly yeah and you, exactly you see that they've run out of a particular kind of spare change then you just get one of them out and you gotta tear them open hit it but, against the desk and crack it open yeah 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 but in this case yeah, the cash would be kept mm -hmm. on strings um but she she does offer him a rebuke basically which is that he needs to, he needs to have more self-respect okay yeah and this this kind of accords with what Aunt Zhao has been saying about him. You know, he, he lets himself be taken for a doormat. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a kind of, there's an interesting kind of um, point here where she says that this lack of self-respect on his part really annoys um, her husband, Jia Lian, um, and that it's only by virtue of, like, Wang Shifeng's intervention that she hasn't, you know, come round and that 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 Jalian hasn't come round and like given him a beating for you know to teach him a lesson but i read that and i found it kind of hard to believe because everything that we know about Jalian is that he's okay he's not tremendously bothered about anything so far as so far as we've seen up to date we, you know we haven't necessarily seen a lot of him but we've seen a a, mm. a bit a reasonable amount um and reading this it, it kind of seemed I don't know, somehow improbable to me. And I wondered whether she was simply using him as she has before in other contexts as a uh, as a way of projecting her own feelings. Um, you know, she she would be much more likely to be concerned with these kind of things, I think. Yeah, okay. So maybe maybe uh Jalian is too preoccupied with his own sort of uh pursuits, right? Maybe his own kind of private pleasures even. Um, to really have a strong yeah. opinion about this lower member of the household, right? So she's kind of she's signing his name as she did uh, back in the chapter that they, they in that in that bit of embezzlement in chap okay, chapter yeah, 13, chapter thirteen exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe it's yeah, it's a similar dynamic. Uh, so throughout this chapter, she's been kind of the referee. I thought, like, she comes in, like, up, oh, Nanny, Nanny Lee, you're out of line. You got to <laughs> yeah. go to the penalty yeah. box. We have Stu, um, and now it's kind of a similar, like, up, oh, you, uh, you, you didn't play the game right, but I'm gonna give you your like 
pass through go coins and you can you can get back in you can uh roll it roll she uses again. some interesting language here that i think is maybe worth commenting on uh hawks says that this behavior of jiahuan's really sets jalian's teeth on edge but the actual phrase in chinese is uh hunda ya yang yang so it's it makes his teeth tickle mm. rather than setting his teeth on edge um it, or it gives the teeth like an itchy or tickly feeling that sort of thing um which I guess is kind of close enough to um, to the way that it's used in English, but I, it just struck me as like an interesting um, interesting little way of, of describing that feeling, right? You know, nails on a chalkboard make your teeth make your teeth feel itchy. That like mm. <laughs> it's the second itch in this chapter, actually, because previously uh, Bao Yu had said to uh, Musk that oh, I saw earlier that you're. Um, well, you said earlier that your your head was itchy, so maybe I should um I should comb it for you. Ah, uh, right. I don't know. That's it's kind of a funny coincidence. Yeah, so it's used in different um, kind of context here, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And she also uses this this idea of uh of the foxy eyebrows uh, in talking about how like Jiahuan lets himself be led astray. Um, uh huh. You know, he. He doesn't play with kids his own age. He always wants to play with the with the bigger kids, mm. and they they kind of trick or or you know, um, in some way mislead him. That's kind of that's that's a real dynamic. We we've definitely seen that. So maybe this is a chapter where the uh, kind of the the realist impression one gets of this novel uh, really comes to the to the fore. That's about right. You know, it's. It is very realistic. It's extremely relatable. A lot of the scenes that we see, um, there are elements in them certainly that are. Yeah. Um, it earns its realist reputation. That's what I was trying to. I was, I was looking for the right words. <laughs> uh, how about we move on now to? Yeah. I guess the the next real. We're coming upon uh, another iconic interaction between Bao Yu and Dai Yu. So how about we set the stage a little bit? So how does this scene play out? We know that um, Jia Huan went off to complain to his mother and then was found by Xi Feng and she gave him some more cash and sent him on his way. But when Jia Huan left, that left Bao Yu and Bao Chai together, right? Um, and so they've mm -hmm. kind of continued hanging out doing... Um, whatever it is that they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. And they're in the midst of this when a servant arrives announcing that Miss Shu has arrived. Mm -hmm. And so who is Miss Shu? So we haven't really had any interaction with her yet, except in Chapter 5, uh, we saw um, she appeared in the poetic material, right? Right. Um, and she is she is one of the twelve beauties of Jinling, right? Um, yes, you know. So, so in a, in a way, this is a story about the, the whole novel is a story about twelve different women. Um, although that's only kind of one part of the whole narrative, um, and she is one of the she is one of the twelve women. So, Miss Miss Shi, uh, Shi Xiangyun, she is. Um, She's kind of a cousin to Bao Yu, Dai Yu, and, and others, right? The way she's related to them is Bao Yu's grandmother, um, 
grandmother Jia, Jia Mu, she's not a Jia by birth, she's a Jia by marriage. And so her brother has a whole kind of branch of the family, mm-hmm. most of whom are dead. So grandmother Jia's brother's granddaughter is Shi uh, Xiangyun, this young lady who's just emerged on the scene. And she is a bit younger than the rest of them, right? She's... Oh, yeah, maybe a little bit, yeah. Mm. And so we're going to learn a little bit about her as the, the story progresses. How about we... I, I don't want to give away too many of the details, um, but we do get an impression for, of her personality in this chapter. I would say we get this, in my mind, quite strong first impression when we see her. Um, so Bao Yu and Bao Chai... Um, hurry off to go and see her um and mm-hmm. you know in in the chinese they say uh so all they you know all they saw was mm-hmm. talking and laughing kind of loudly largely you know mm-hmm. it, you can imagine that even though she's just a, a little girl she's kind of at the center of whatever's going on talking, chatting loudly, laughing, you know, full of energy and kind of entertaining those who who are standing or sitting around. Um, mm-hmm. And then as soon as she gets, as soon as she, as soon as, she, as soon as she sees Bao Yu and Bao Chai, she immediately springs up, um, you know, gets mm-hmm. up and runs over to say hi. Okay, so maybe we could say she's uh, often the life of the party. She has a kind of vivacious personality. Um, and very outgoing and friendly. I think so, yeah. And I think that she seems to have a very uh, sharply contrasting personality with uh, Lin Daiyu, who who was already in the room at the time, and who yes. who takes this warm, lively um, um, <laughs> atmosphere and kind of pours liquid nitrogen all over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. Um that's so good. So what happens in this uh in this final scene? So I think we see here a continuation of the sort of the perennial jealousy uh Daiyu feels toward basically any interaction between Bao Yu and Bao Chai. And so once again, uh accusations are made. <laughs> you know, we know that this is a, a kind of a love triangle that exists at the, at the heart of the story, right? And and that things may get quite complicated in future between the three of them. It's probably an open question, the extent to which Daiyu's emotions um, set in motion a sort of self-fulfilling dynamic, right? So it, it does seem that it, her, like, her tendency toward um, these like emotional outbursts uh become well known and arguably are a main factor in um oh his family opting for Balchai as the preferred right oh interesting um, i hadn't thought of it that way and so we see here a, a lot it's as if like you know if you if you say something enough it becomes true uh and, and if you're afraid of something enough it it becomes a kind of this, this is maybe a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. She's, she's spoken into which existence. is interesting if we think about you know there has been a prophetic element to all of this. Right? <laughs> you know, it's back, fu- back in chapter one, 
it's completely um, different, I suppose. But I was listening to something about the uh, the wrestler Chris Benoit, um, okay. <laughs> who okay. the way that he met his wife apparently was she used to be dating or married to a different wrestler, and because professional wrestling is full of these entirely confected storylines, in order to you know make it more kind of watchable and entertaining. They decided, and I think this was actually at the insistence of her then boyfriend slash husband, they came up with a storyline where Chris Benoit would um, steal her from him in order to build a uh, a kind of rivalry between them, which would make for more entertaining wrestling. So what you're saying is truth becomes fiction when the fiction's true. <laughs> real becomes unreal when the unreal is real or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So in re- yeah, in the fake sense, they were they they started going out, but then in the very real sense, they started going out and did actually get married. So, so the fiction did become real, absolutely. Yeah. So I I mean, and there's there's even going to be elements in the story where um, there's going to be fictional um, works that emerge that parallel this story, and so there's a question of whether uh, you know whether Daiyu and to a lesser extent Baoyu read too much and in the process become what they read they uh you know they become infected with the uh you know the, the romances and the tragedies that they're consuming in, in a sense so so they they Baoyu and Bao Chai arrive to visit the newly arrived uh Shi Xiangyun um and there they encounter Daiyu or rather there he encounters Daiyu and she immediately asks where he's been what's he been doing and the answer is, of course, that he's been at Balchai's chambers, you know. And this gets a very frosty response from Dayu. In the Hawks, she says, uh, I thought something must have been detaining you. But the the Chinese term is banzhu, uh for detaining. But here it means more like entangled, tied up, you know. Um, there is definitely a a very implied... Uh, there's a there's a real barb there, you know. There's a um, she's making a kind of innuendo, I think. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you're it kind of a uh, a love entanglement, maybe. Yeah, I think you. Yeah, you must have been entangled with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Bao Yu's response is, you know, I uh, I play around, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, because he's still, you know, so young. It's like. You're not the only person I'm allowed to play with, you know. I, 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 uh, I, you know, there's lots, a lot of fun to be had, you know. <laughs> um, um, and I, I don't think his remarks are meant to have the sort of again, he doesn't know the connotation of his statements as before with um, Jia Huan. He doesn't really know, like, he's not skilled at speaking in a way where you control uh, interpretation. Okay. I I think that he is yeah a bit kind of clueless and bumbling compared to her maybe. Um but she she does this she does a very kind of classical classic thing that you know people often do in in arguments um <laughs> where um she pretends of course not to care at all. So Bayou says, "Well, mm-hmm. I didn't realize I was only allowed to play with you. I just, you know, I was I just happened to be visiting her." Uh-huh. And she says, "Well, what do I care whether you go and see her?" 
and anyway, I never said that. I never asked you to keep me amused. You know, from now on, you can ignore me completely. You know, <laughs> see if I care. Um, <laughs> and Bao Yi says, well, what are you so upset about? And she says, are you telling me how to behave? <laughs> <laughs> to which she responds, no, of course not. But, you know, if you always get upset like this, then you, you know, you'll ruin your health. And she says, well, fine. I hope I die then. <laughs> so, I mean, you know how, you know, some fast sports cars have that statistic, which is, you know, zero to 100 in X seconds. I feel like this this argument really outpaces all of them. You know, it goes from, from nothing to I hope I die in, <laughs> well, probably about 30, 45 seconds. <laughs> it's very much, you know, he's trying to use facts and reason to uh, assess the situation but it's clearly that her responses are uh, entirely emotional and, and, and based in emotion and, and it's a, a very um, another iconic kind of moment where uh, no matter what he does or says she, she finds a way to sort of twist the, the words to have a kind of a, a, a sharp retort it's well, it's it's tough, isn't it? Because from her perspective, I think she finds herself in that position that one sometimes does of being surprised and hurt by news um, and being unable simply to swallow it. You want to somehow make the other person equally kind of hurt and upset. And so you kind of, you irrationally throw everything that you can at them um, and you yeah. end up just making yourself more kind of uh, ridiculous and, and wound up, I suppose. Yeah, but as you say, it escalates really quickly. And now she's like, I don't care. I'll talk about death if I like. Death, death, death. I'm going to die this minute. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you live a long and happy life. <laughs> that will show you. <laughs> and, and this is the point where he finally breaks down. He's like, well, I wish I was dead. Better than you know having this conversation, basically, is the, uh, yeah. Yeah. the, the gist of his remark. Um, and so they're, they're, they get this... The conversation is not going well, <laughs> at least for yeah. So they're mid for Bao Yu. They're, they're midway through this rather ridiculous argument, and and you know, in my eyes, there is an element of kind of like that type of um, hyperbole that you find with teenagers, you know, mm -hmm. where uh, everything is tremendously important and everything is tremendously overblown, and there is this almost theatrical aspect to it. Mm -hmm. um, and at that moment, probably the worst thing that could happen happens, which is Bao Chai enters and she says, come on, you know, cousin Shu, i.e. Shu Xiangyun, the newly arrived girl, is, is waiting to see you. And she grabs Bao, Bao Yu by the hand and takes him out of the room, you know, pulls him out and of the room. And this contact is really uh, kind of, it uh, encapsulates everything that Dai Yu is afraid of, right? And so that, 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 that moment, that, like, that, that contact, that gesture... Uh, sends her over the edge yeah. and she starts uh, in the Hawks shedding tears of pure rage. Yeah, it sends her into real angry... Uh, an angry Facing state. the window again, which uh, a kind of uh, a classic Daiyu position. Yeah. You know, like uh, staring uh, soulfully out the window. Yeah, kind of observing but somehow separate. Um, mm -hmm. So... There's something interesting to me here, which is we've observed already this chapter that 
while Chai is comparatively, I guess, emotionally mature, uh, she seems much less prone to both to kind of fits of temper, but also um, she's much better at understanding others' emotions and um, adapting her own behavior accordingly, as we saw with, you know, Jia Huan getting all bent out of shape over losing money uh, gambling. Um, but here, it must be clear enough to her that, uh, you know, being a reasonably empathetic person, it must be clear enough to her that Daiyu is kind of... Um, is rather jealous of um, the relationship between her and Bao Yu. And yet she doesn't seem mm -hmm. to adjust her behavior at all. And in fact, maybe consciously or maybe unconsciously inflames that, that jealousy by the way that she acts. So, so do we think that there's, there's kind of a, mm. you know, despite her outward appearance of being this kind of model of, traditional Chinese women should be, you know, very, like, um, empathetic and conciliatory and so on and so forth. There is a certain bloody-mindedness that she has when it comes to pursuing her own her own goals. That's a good question. I'm tempted uh, not to adopt that interpretation, but it's... I, I think it's a little bit... It's this stage, based on what we've seen, it's a little bit... Um, it's clear that Dayu has feelings, and, and these are directing her uh, behavior. But it's it's less clear with uh, Bao Chai what exactly her motivations are. It's it's not. I think at this stage it's not entirely um, obvious that these are prospective, you know, um, romantic partners or or or, or much less prospective uh, marriage partners. Uh, it's still kind of too early in the game. Um, but yet, I, I think maybe different I, I think there's room for interpretation here so maybe um some people will adopt an interpretation closer to what you outlined yeah i, I mean the reason for thinking it partly is there's a an interaction between bao yu and bao chai in chapter 18 in the poetry in the garden okay. chapter um where you know he's struggling to find this word and she helps him come up with something and he refers to her as sister mm. Um, which, you know, uh, carries a kind of broader meaning than the literal sense that we have in, in, in English, you know, uh, in Chinese, you can use like sister or sister like words to refer to a woman who's not literally your sister, but who you have, I guess, some kind of like friendly relationship with. Mm -hmm. Um, and this actually, I don't know, it somehow puts Balchai's nose out of joint slightly, um, uh, being referred to in this way. And uh, at the time, I suppose I interpreted it as her thinking, you know, I'm not your sister. I'm your prospective romantic partner, I guess. And and so I, I saw in that scene a, an initial kind of awakening on her part of of those kind of feelings. You know, um, the difference here would be that uh, Bao Chai is slightly older than Bao Yu, whereas Dai Yu is slightly younger than... Bao Yu, um, and so very at various points in the in the text, I guess not in, in chapter eight, uh, Bao Yu refers to Dai Yu as Lin Mei Mei. Um, yep. So little sister Lin. Right. And actually, a few times in the text, and so yeah. I guess it's a little bit unclear. Um, so it's it's Lin Mei Mei and 
I guess it would be Shre Shrejeje. Yeah, I don't remember. I um, but he does use that phrase, Jia you know, older sister, to refer to her. So it's not simply that she's put out by him using the kind of like the the wrong term, considering their comparative ages. I I, I, I don't know. I also think that I mean potentially, younger sister has a different connotation than older sister. They're not like equal terms, right? Um, anyway, so hmm. Bao Chai comes rushing in and takes Bao Yu away to hang out with Shi um, Xiang Yun. And you can tell that, you know, because he's been dragged away midway through an argument, he is kind of, he is desperate to get back. And um, so I think he stays the shortest possible time without being rude. Um, they they mark it in T, did you notice yeah. that? Mei Liang Jian Cha I thought that was really yeah. funny. Exactly, uh, exactly. So, so it's it's like one or two cups of tea later, sort of thing. Um, um, he then dashes back to to see her, um, mm-hmm. and this time has not, you know, in that time, Dayu's um, a distemper has not like resolved itself in any way, and she's now, she's now kind of sobbing, mm-hmm. and. So Bao Yu, you know, he sees her and he approaches and he thinks, okay, I've got to, you know, I've got to try and dig deep here to try and um, find a way to 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 make it up to her, to to make her feel better. But before he can open his mouth, she goes right back on the offensive. <laughs> I mean, but it's it's a kind of um, it's like be the offensive by like stabbing yourself, you know. Um, and so in the Hawks, maybe I'll read this. So why can't you just leave me here to die in peace? After all, you've got a new playmate now. One who can read and write and compose and laugh and talk to you much better than I can. And so on and so forth. Uh, and so she's feeling kind of, um, maybe like inadequate, at least in a performative sense. Yeah. And, and she uses this phrase, you know, Oh, oh yes, and drag you off to be amused if there's any danger of you getting upset. Um, so this is like drawing this real, you know, difference in personality between her and Balchai. You know, Balchai is is the constantly kind of accommodating, almost slightly motherly personality. You know, like wherever, whenever you you get uh, angry or upset, she's there to to make things better. Whereas if you get upset with Dayu, she'll fire back (laughs) so theirs is Mm. i guess a more kind of truly uh passionate if somewhat destructive relationship what do you mean by that i suppose that if balyu has a choice between the two between dayu and balchai the the relationship with balchai is likely to be kind of no doubt loving and tender in many ways but rather more sort of um placid and even keeled whereas with Dayu, it you would expect it to be tremendously intense, but very kind of unstable. You know, lots of shouting and throwing furniture. Um, okay, <laughs> that sort um, of thing. Um, and I guess uh, Bao Yu's response, you know, in, in ex- he's again he's using logic to uh, 
to approach a situation which is more rooted in emotion, even though there is a logic to emotion, I realize. Um, and, and he's saying like, well, of course, you know, actually you're closer to me in terms of kinship because you're you're my cousin on the father's side, which makes you closer than a cousin on the mother's side, like uh, Shreva Chai. Um, and, but this, this response is completely, uh, you know, orthogonal to... Uh, the point, and this it's it's at this moment that Dayu is like, well, you know, it doesn't matter. It's it's the way I feel, you know, is the issue here. Um, and then and then you know, like Bao Yu is like, well, it's the way I feel. And finally, there's this like glimpse of the idea that you know they have feelings for each other, and that's what's really at issue here, not this issue of the uh, the lineages or the etiquette uh, or who plays with who, when um, it's, and so it kind of, you have this like, it's as if the, uh, the sun or the moon emerges from behind the clouds for a moment. Uh, and you have a glimpse of like the actual content of the, um, of the conversation that's underlying all these sort of uh, this, these like artificial remarks in effect. And she then goes on to, you know, now that they've, um, they're not fully reconciled, but they've reconciled a little. You know, she's perhaps given a little bit of ground. Um, the gun is still trained at him, but it's no longer firing. She says, you know, you don't seem to realize how much you provoke other people by your behavior. And I think this is just coming back to the same point again, right? Is that a reference to to the two of them or a, a more general comment, you think? I think so, yeah. I, I, it's a general comment, mm -hmm. but it is definitely a specific one as so well. He's right? provoked her yeah, in a so, sense, um, or, or yeah, yeah. He he he's thoughtless in his behavior. He's he's never m malicious, right? But he's he's thoughtless. He definitely he really thinks a lot. He thinks more about his own enjoyment, really, than anybody else's feelings. And in doing so, you know, he often mm -hmm. kind of upsets others. Right, maybe, and maybe he is leading her on, or maybe he's leading Shiva Chai on, or maybe he. We also saw this in the interaction with Jia Huan, where his remarks are just like uh, he has no idea how they're going to be taken, and and they 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 kind of come out of left field. <laughs> There's a sort of um, yeah, a, a deep lack of self awareness, it would seem. And it's basically at this moment that uh, uh, Shang Yun arrives on the scene right and she has um you would think maybe that this would be an awkward moment but she uh she handles it uh i think skillfully i would say she interrupts the mid-argument in the way that and this is what really makes me feel like she's a little bit younger she she's not really old enough to exactly understand what's going on and she just kind of wades into the middle of whatever their conversation is and demands to be the center of attention so they're they're interrupted by uh Xiang Yun, um who yeah, as we said, she just comes kind of tearing in like a in the way that young kids do. Um and she addresses the two of them as Ai Gurga and Lin Jie Jie. So Lin Jie Jie is older sister Lin, and it's a common way of referring to older women in your family. Um and then Ai Gurga, it like you know, it makes no sense reading it, right? Because it, 
Gurga is older brother, and again, just like an older man in my family. But I is the character for for love, right? You know, so it's like big brother love. <laughs> like it kind of makes no sense, right? But we realize that this is a speech impediment, right? She's mm-hmm. so she's trying to say ja, and she's saying I instead. Is that the idea? I think she's trying to say R, like two seconds. R Gurga, okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. There we so, go. Because it, yeah, y- yeah, yeah. So 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 so. I and R, some similar sounding, but the second has a has an R has you know the R sound in it, and and that I guess is something that kids sometimes struggle with, um, mm. and so Daiyu and Baoyu kind of slightly mock her for this for this speech impediment. So what she meant to say was R Gurga, which is like Big Brother Number Two, which is her way of referring to um, Baoyu, right? Yeah, this is this is one of the bits where I have to say, Hawks really does a good job of um, dealing with very complicated mm-hmm. um, aspects of translation because this is something which is not easy to translate from Chinese to English. Like, it just it it doesn't it doesn't translate at all. So he instead gives her a lisp, um, um, which you know is something very common among young kids, um, and so it's very understandable. But also, conversely, the idea of a lisp is not something that would translate into Chinese, right? Because there's no, there's no th sound in um, right. in any right. Chinese characters. Um, so it's only when you compare the two texts mm. side by side that you kind of understand how the one has become the other. Um, um, anyway, she comes kind of. Uh, rushing in in a whole kind of blaze of energy and completely changes the mood of the of the room. So whereas they'd been in this kind of lover's tiff, they're now, you know, um, engaged in some friendly chatter mm-hmm. with her. And um, I guess Dayu having the chance to to pick on her a little bit, albeit in a in a kind of joking way, maybe helps to distract her from her. <clears throat> her anger at, at um, Baoyu. Do you um, do you get the sense though, based on her comments, that she is aware of the the sort of the tension between Daiyu and Bao Chai? I I I'm not sure to be honest. I I think that she strikes me as as uh, having that slightly childlike cluelessness about stuff. Um, um, I mean, it does seem very well timed. You know, it's like, well, if you're if you're uh, finding fault in my speech, I know someone who you can't find fault in, basically. Then again, that could be a reference to, you know, Bao Chai's kind of rectitude and upright character. It really is, in, in some ways, difficult to find um, fault in her. Other than saying maybe she's too, you know, she's too good. She's too proper. Uh, this mention of Bao Chai then kind of threatens to set off Dayu again. And she says, you know, of course, I should never dare to find fault with her. Um, uh, and at this point, you know, Bayu uh, interrupts and, and changes the subject. <laughs> and Xiang Yun ends up joking, you know, that of course she could never compare with, with um, uh, Dayu, but says, if you're going to make fun of my speech impediment, well... I hope that you end up with a husband with a with a speech impediment, so that you hear every day 
um it's this yeah it's it's um a kind of funny little comedic episode that cuts across the seriousness of the of the the end of the chapter i suppose and so it helps not only to resolve their own argument but the the tension in which the the reader finds themselves okay yeah i'd say overall this chapter um it's easy going um there's definitely some tension but it's not as heavy as you know nobody dies uh there's no funerals um it is kind of a it reminds me a little bit of chapter seven in that it's just kind of a um a panorama uh maybe a dream you know maybe a a panoramic dream of the the greater household um what do you think Any, any final remarks i think because it's a brief chapter and because it doesn't deal in any great events it's maybe easy to overlook it um and and think that nothing of significance happens here but i think you know as we covered there's we do get to see some of the just the the relationships between people uh develop here and we get a kind of deeper understanding of them right um because it because if everything is all wrapped up in these great Mm -hmm. events you know people dying or being killed or um or receiving imperial decrees that's all very important but you don't you know just get to see the the ordinary day-to-day stuff where people get to know each other better you know and and people get into conflicts and and resolve them and 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 that sort of thing yeah yeah so i i would definitely uh advise anyone against sort of skipping over (laughs) these um these more idle chapters i really think that's kind of these are some of the, the best moments in the story where you yeah, there's a certain kind of ethics of idleness here that we can all, we can maybe learn from. Um, that being said, the next few chapters are all, in my opinion, highly, uh, uh, fairly eventful. Um, and so we see a return to, they're, they're going to be a little bit longer. There's going to be more poetic elements. There's going to be... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. These like prophetic riddles in chapter 22. That's going to be really, that's going to be really fun and interesting. Um, and so it's and and there's also a lot of a lot of poetic content coming up in chapter twenty three as well. So I'm looking forward to all that. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're getting into the the kind of final straits of volume one uh, of five, right? Um, and maybe the second. This is our second, maybe twelve part. Right, we talked about how the first twelve chapters was arguably kind of it's a contained unit. Yeah, and so chapter twenty-four would be like the second. Yeah, that will close out the next block. The second um, dozen. Yeah, know. yeah. Um, all right. I say we we wrap it up there. Okay. Um, so thanks for listening, everybody. This has been another installation of Rereading the Stone. As always, get in contact with us. Uh, we are on Twitter at Rereading Stone. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash rereadingthestone. Until next time, uh, have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.